Welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! Richard, I'll be your host for August. And I was going to say, well, the hot weather's here, but it's not. It's been dreadful. It's been raining all the time. It's like, I don't know about you, but like in the literally the last couple of days, I've been able to go out and cut my lawn. It was like going through some kind of jungle and I had to set my lawn more at the highest level and then go through it. And then I had to set my lawn more the next level down and then go through it. And it was hungry work. It was so hung. I got so hungry at some point. I decided, you know what? I need something substantial. So I went, got myself a sandwich, but not just any sandwich. I went to a place where you place your order and you watch a very, very stressed person deal ingredients onto a counter. And some halfway through, they made a mistake, and all you could hear them say was crumbs. And I wondered if they had enough wisdom to keep on with the job. I wasn't sure if they did have enough webs wisdom, but I know somebody who does have enough wisdom from the company Minerva Games, which is to do with the goddess of wisdom themselves. They're a bit of a colourful character. You may say you might want to have a little bit of a swatch at their previous games. But here to talk about Crumbs, a sandwich filler game, I have got Scott, Low, James. Hello. <laughs> but nobody in your life has ever introduced you by doing a little bit of your (laughs) (laughs) that is a new one but also that is a new part of my name so ah uh, you could be starting something there i I think you could introduce yourself just i think it would be an icebreaker wouldn't it because you don't get people kind of introducing themselves it's like what's your name my name's richard my name's richard simpson and that's it but all what i get is i get is it simpson with a p and i was like saying i I never really understand why people need to potentially ask the spelling of, you know, one of the most famous surnames. <laughs> and the, I, I have actually said in the past, it's like, yeah, you spell it just like the yellow guys on TV. And then some, you know, and then people sometimes stare at me and it's like, yes, the TV show. And it's like, look, let me just write the thing down for you, for goodness sake. Um we're at a kind of an exciting point in the campaign because Crumbs, the sandwich filler game, has crossed. <laughs> Unless I've cursed it and it's gone back there again. <laughs> <laughs> it's crossed the magical place of £8,500. Yes, yeah, it has. Um, which is not somewhere where I thought I'd be like one day into the campaign. <laughs> um, But... At the same, t- I mean, were you expecting it? I mean, have you done? I mean, we'll we'll, we'll cover some other stuff because this is what we do. We kind of jump around like a frog on a kind of a hot tin roof with uh, tap shoes, trying to get the perfect rhythm. But I mean, mid and camp, are you really kind of surprised and going, "Oh my goodness, I thought I would be kind of like, well, I need to do this. I need to post this on social media. I then need to." kind of keep messaging the backers i need to be jumping from instagram to facebook and 
checking my emails and stuff like that and still be kind of the kind of the marketing head just to make sure we get funded and are you kind of now going i'm not sure what i'm meant to do <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i actually like after the campaign launch i actually took a break yesterday which um wow. yeah that tells you a little bit of um yeah of where i was i was actually able to go along to a playtesting session wow um, okay just for a couple of hours just to kind of relax a bit and then and then and then come back but um yeah i mean i've kind of yo-yoed all over the place um with that wonderful imposter syndrome just kind of yanking you back every time you get any type of confidence um you know a lot of the stuff in the run-up to the campaign was looking really good yeah people were responding to the game really well yeah got loads of people signing up um for it and then like the two days before the the campaign launched was just was just torture i'd i'd you know convinced myself that we were like we were going to struggle we I was going to have to pull out all the stops to to make sure that we kind of, you know, equaled my previous campaign or something like that. And then, and then, yeah, we pressed the button. Um, I did a little uh, live stream launch party. Yeah. Because um, I thought it might distract, help distract me from <laughs> the anxiety <laughs> of what waiting for that like first pledge to come in. Yeah. And by the time the, the launch party was done, like in half an hour, we were funded. And it just, it just kept going. I I remember that. I remember um, what uh, watching the 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 Cora Quest the first time Cora Quest was kind of oh, on yeah. Kickstarter, and I tuned into the live. I tuned into the live stream, and we knew something was going to happen. And there was a, there was a generally a really good buzz about the campaign, and mm-hmm. I think they managed to kind of like fund within like forty five. I think it was 45 minutes. I think they were going to do a, a live stream of like half an hour. And then it just, as as you've probably witnessed yourself, you just see the numbers kind of creeping up and it keeps going up and up and up. It's like a totalizer on some kind of game show, you know. Here's what you're mm. going to want. And, uh, and, and I think they, they kind of just waited and went, well, I mean, what's another 15 minutes, folks? Should we just <laughs> wait and see? And it, it obviously went, it kind of, kind of went along and kind of, and kind of funded. I understand where your anxieties come from because your background with the first game that you launched which was Swatch you had you had two attempts yeah. at kind of getting Swatch funded and the first one I think was it the first one kind of only made a couple of thousand and yeah, then so. the second attempt was like busting through and 400, 400% funded which just goes to yeah. show there is no art to there is no art to Kickstarter. It seems to be like a once you gain momentum, you seem to kind of be kind of there. Yeah, I mean, the weirdest thing was that my my first um, funding for Swatch and my second oh. was like six weeks apart. That's weird. Because I knew I kind of was able to quite quickly identify mm-hmm. um, what was wrong with the campaign. And it wasn't the game because the reviews had come in pre- pretty solid. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. happy with that. Yeah, um, There's something that wasn't like... And all the people who had played it at conventions turned up for the Kickstarter. It was all the people who didn't know anything about the game. Mm-hmm. They weren't seeing something on the on the, the Kickstarter that was kind of like making them go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I want that. So, yeah, I was able to kind of go back and, and retool it, 
to just look a lot prettier um, and just make it a bit more attractive um, to, to backers who, who don't know me. And yeah, six weeks later, we relaunched and, and broke 10K. <laughs> and about like 560 60 people kind of joined you on the journey and kind of got you there. But in terms of your kind of journey with, because we'll, we'll now obviously, as I say, jumping around. <laughs> You're kind of well. It's kind of you know your involvement in the tabletop. You're not just somebody who's rocked up with an idea and said, right, okay, let's do this. Um, you've kind of been involved in the kind of the playtesting scene for a little while. You know, base kind of set yeah. that up at the at the Gludicus. So, has how did that? How did you get involved in that? I mean, I take it you've been you must have been playing games. You've been playing board games for some time before you kind of got involved in that. Uh, weird, well, board games, weirdly enough, no. All right. Uh, it's actually a fairly recent development. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're still talking, I mean, uh, like six or seven yeah. years now. Yeah. Um, but I've been playing tabletop games since I was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Warhammer and miniature games. And then I went through the inevitable card game phase at university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I started, I worked in the miniature wargaming industry, which wow. is what moved me down down to London, oh. out of the uh, rural delights of Lincolnshire. Right. And um, delights being used very loosely there. <laughs> it's, just, it's always Scott's currently doing inverted commas with this. And yeah, it was it was there that I started to play like, modern board games yes, yeah. and then yeah i got involved kind of with a um something on the side as it were mm-hmm. to to develop and, and publish board games so i started playing modern board games roughly about the same time that i started developing them wow. um which was yeah which is um quite a steep learning curve does okay does that give you does that give you a slight advantage in that you're able to kind of approach it as a blank canvas without any kind of ideas that have gone before, without prejudice of ideas? Because I can imagine one of the things that anybody in any kind of creative kind of design space is you go, oh, this is excellent. It's a, I've just created this kind of wonderful kind of pick up and deliver game. And then somebody goes, oh, just like this game. Or it's like, oh, <laughs> and what you're going to do is we're going to grab the jewels and it's, is it just like this game? And I, so I can imagine sometimes you think, well, I don't want, am I leaning too heavily on other kind of designs that have already gone out there? Whereas I can imagine if you're just kind of getting involved in the hobby at the same time, you wouldn't necessarily, it might not stop you from going ahead and developing an idea that you might think other people have already done already. I think there's, like, I, I'm uh, a big advocate for a certain amount of ignorance when it comes to design. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it is good to have, uh, I guess, a few kind of blind spots, yeah. which does allow you that kind of extra bit of creativity. Yeah. Um, I've had, you know, in my kind of early stages of designing games and coming up with ideas, I've kind of had you know an insomnia fueled night where I've 
come up with a great idea for a game yeah. only to realize the next day that it's <laughs> it's actually a fully published game um <laughs> just fever of dreaming it um but then um on the other hand i've i've also come up with uh, an idea usually theme driven yeah. around a game all right okay um which then informs like the mechanism mm-hmm. um which leads me to realize that it's actually something fairly innovative sounds maybe a bit pretentious but it's it's something that's not your standard kind of worker placement or card drafting type game um and i'm still working on one actually that was maybe one of my first few ideas which i i'm fairly sure there's not many games like it yeah and it was just it was it's different enough that i i'm happily still working on it and trying to find that sweet spot for it yeah okay so yeah, I do I do like and and with with some games as well, sometimes I advise people if they're like, Oh, I want to make this kind of game. Yeah. Sometimes you'll go, Okay, well what you want to do is you want to play this game, this game, this game, because this does this mechanism yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I will say, Don't play any of those games. Just make what you think it should be like and when you're a certain kind of distance along the design then go back and and play some of like the the key games in that mechanism yeah. and then you can see oh actually no I like this bit but I, but my game does this that others don't and then you can kind of you know make a bit of a mix and match but you don't want all of your decisions to essentially just go here's the three biggest you know worker placement games I'm going to take this from that one this from that one and that from that one yeah yeah I think um I think that's why we still get so many kind of a imaginative kind of new games, which people say it's a twist. It's a twist on this kind of game. I've seen it, but it does do kind of things slightly different. And I don't think somebody says, right, okay. Um, like I was talking about in the last show, I was talking about Rear Window. And I don't think somebody took Mysterium and said, right, how do we how do we take the rear window IP and make it like, how do I change Mysterium to make it like rear window? I think somebody just kind of like worked on a game idea and then you would be aware that something like a Mysterium existed, but then it was, they just kind of developed it kind of how they, how they wanted to do it. So in terms of then the playtesting side of things, are you, as a person, are you, would you consider yourself a fairly kind of analytical type person then are you kind of like a a facts and figures type guy is that how you're kind of yeah 100 percent um there's kind of like if you were to divide i think game design into two broad schools you'd have you know people who design by numbers and people who design by feel Mm -hmm. um and i'm usually drawn towards the kind of games that are designed by numbers or at least backed up Mm -hmm. by numbers Mm -hmm. um it's yeah. It's just very much the way my my brain works. Um, allows me to make sense of things a lot easier if I can see see patterns in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why one game that I'm working on is is interesting because it is very much kind of how there's not many kind of you can't balance it. Like when I designed Swatch, I could balance all the card counts and the values and everything literally just by by mathing it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was fine. Um, but this is a cooperative game that is is more based on an experience than than balance, and wow, so okay. you have to you have to design by feel and 
yeah when you tweak it it's not because oh this is overpowered it's because oh people's perception when they do this is that it's it's not right yeah so yeah. therefore i have to change it which is it's very interesting is that does that almost push you out of your kind of your venn diagram kind of comfort zone it's like you've got currently you've kind of got board games i i like to develop and you know maths and analytics and it's kind of all in this and put an excel spreadsheet in there as well and you just get comfort and you're kind of going well i now need to say right people don't like this card because it's got a minus three on it and people don't really like that minus because it's too much of a minus but they can't tell it doesn't actually analytically it physically doesn't really make a difference to the gameplay but people don't like having a card of minus three when everything else is kind of like a positive kind of integer instead um have you been tapping into anything that um is it jeff engelston's been doing on online he's been he's got a Substack going and he talks about kind of analytics and probability and game design as well yeah i think i've um i've looked at it a bit before not not recently mm. um but i i do i see it popping up and it's always one of those things where i'm like i need i need to go back to that because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of really good kind of what's the word it's thought thought leadership type things yeah, around yeah. that yeah. people in the game design community are, are fully willing to just put out for free yes. because they don't I think the great thing about kind of this industry is no one sees each other's competition, um, whether it's designers or publishers. Um, and we could argue maybe for the larger publishers, but in the kind of indie publishers type scene, I never look at anyone at a convention across from me and be like, oh, I have to sell to this person because if if they go there first, they're going to buy that game, then they're not going to buy my game. Like, Yeah. Th- when is a board gamer ever you know made an excuse to not buy more games i think um i think it's because there's still we still don't know what would define a successful game or what generates a successful game you know you're talk we're taught as as we said or you alluded to earlier you don't like to you almost like to approach game design with a little bit of kind of ignorance because then you're not basing it on other things and i think at the moment you know um well, case in point, your current Kickstarter campaign, you had no idea what was going to happen when you pressed the button, when you pressed the button on that, whether it was going to sit there at, you know, at £500 for a couple of days and then you were going to be, well, how do we promote it? And it's kind of gone, it's gone where it is, it's kind of gone through the roof. And I think that um, there is a little bit of people kind of keep their eyes, their minds open because you don't really know where the next potentially big popular thing is going to be happening or coming from i mean heat again spoke yeah. about heat in the last episode <laughs> but i i don't think if, if, if i had said to people kind of like a year ago or a year and a half ago one of the big games that people are going to be talking about is a racing game which has some diff which has some slight differences to how say like flam rouge play or formula d plays people would be saying shut up and now for a while you couldn't get you know heat was hot <laughs> so, 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 so bad. Um, so when you're helping people out at the Ludoquist, is it? Do you do you have kind of like? Do you have to kind of wear both hats? Do you have to wear your? Are you wearing your analytical hat with them? Are you wearing your kind of your? How they how the game makes you feel kind of 
hat with them? What 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 are you kind of doing when you're kind of running those kind of things? It it very much depends on what the designer's looking for as well. Mm-hmm. Because I the thing is, I then probably have four hats to wear, which you know gets. Very busy, you know, chopping and changing them. I just want um, to see you were wearing four hats or what? Um, they'd have to be, you know, different hats as well, so people could yeah. easily tell what hat you tell had. who who I was being at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got kind of the. It, it depends on what the feedback, what feedback the designer's looking for. Right. If they want to know whether something is balanced, yeah, then you can say, oh well, actually, I think this action. Uh, gives gives you too much, or I think this path is is is, is pointless because you know th- there's a clearly a better choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they might just want to, we want to be. Oh, you know, did you feel like you had agency when you were playing? Mm-hmm. Which is obviously quite a, a different. That doesn't necessarily come down to game balance. It comes down to did I feel like the choices I was making mattered? Yes. And then I've got the kind of the d- designer side and the publisher side. So if someone wants to ask me advice as a, as a fellow designer, yeah, then then I would say, oh yeah, well this is more kind of experimental. This is this would be really cool because mm-hmm. I don't think it's been done before. Or as a looking at it as like a developer publisher type thing, I'd be like, well, like, do you want to sell this because? Uh, six hundred cards is really expensive to produce, and it might be a <laughs> might be a limiting factor. Yeah. That kind of thing, like looking at it from, I guess, like a product development type thing as well. So that's I think a big part of playtesting is what do what does someone want to get out of it? Um, because there's there's being a good playtester um, as well as being a good um, like host as well. So you're going to make sure that everybody's running, everybody's happy, and that first time people are kind of, they're not made to feel welcome, but they're actually feeling they're <laughs> kind of getting welcome. Involved. We don't want them too comfortable. Well, you don't, yeah, no, you don't want people coming, but <laughs> I, t- I was talking to my friend about this, like the, the local game shop's got a, like, a lovely guy, but he's starting to get the case of kind of like the, it's kind of like what I call nerderoids. Which are guys that hang around your shop that don't buy anything in your shop, but think by being your oh, friend yeah. and hanging around at the counter, they're kind of generating business. And you're just like, you need to nip that in the bud. You, you are doing <laughs> the opposite. Get your kind of, kind of money. Um, is it how many? Is it, do you also have to give people kind of talking tos as well to kind of get them over their own? kind of anxiety about their game or they're kind of um, they're kind of thinking well this game's just not any good are there some people that just that you have to talk well feedback feedback is a specific thing and it's not necessarily a personal thing about you and yourself it's actually about how the game mechanics work you have to kind of coach people on how to kind of keep on going if they've got a good idea I mean you must have seen some people who they come along for a couple of weeks. It looks like they've got an amazing idea, and then you never see them again because they've just decided to bin it. <laughs> I mean, we get kind of people from both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, in that you have someone who comes along thinking that they've designed the next greatest game. Um, yeah. And it turns out that we're sitting in a board game cafe with 
like 600 games and <laughs> they've they've played you know scrabble yeah um which is <laughs> which is you know um i when want I say to you, incur uh, the wrath of the scrabble crowd <laughs> Um, when i say approach design with a bit of ignorance um there's there's such thing as too much ignorance but you know we will we'll happily point out that there is there's a whole world there of of modern board games and um and kind of how to how to approach that uh but then also we have people who come along who have designed you know something really exciting and and innovative and they're just really, you know, um, that's just like self-deprecating. They're like, oh, no, I didn't like this because this bit, yeah. this, like, oh, this bit clearly doesn't work. And I'm like, you're looking at this this single <laughs> bit that it's... you've decided to breaks the entire game. Yeah. Everyone else is having so much fun. Yeah. That, like, sometimes we forget that we're meant to be playtesting these games and... They're like, oh yeah, we'll wrap it up after round three, and we're like, no, we are going to the end. Yeah, that we and and we're enjoying this too much. Um, so yeah, there's there's encouragement and there's 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 advice, and I mean, yeah, sometimes you get people, um, who come along. We t- we try and have a rule that when someone attends for the first time, they don't play test their game. Yeah, um, because. Gets them more of a feel as to who we are as a, a community, yeah, and and that they don't have to worry too much about getting their game played. They can just you know get involved and chat to people, yeah. Um, but also it stops people who are just looking for publicity coming along, um, or want to take and not give, which we have had a few times. Um, I had someone turn up once uh, with a game that he was very really excited that he'd. Um, he developed, and so I sat down to play it with him. Uh, it was like a kind of multi-game in one system, yeah, which is quite quite interesting. And the the kind of the physical product of it was was you know had that toy factor as as people like yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, after after we played it, he was like, oh, so I asked him what his plans were, and he was like, oh, it's um it's actually on Kickstarter now. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I, um, you kicked him I, out, I, I, set his game on fire, and then threw, we, it, threw um, it at him, didn't you? We, you know, we rotated around, and then I had a quick look on my phone, and just I was like, "Oh, what's what's it doing on Kickstarter?" And it had like twenty six pound funding for a a sixty thousand pound goal or something, oh, and I was goodness. like, "Oh, okay." And then he never came back because all he wanted to do was come here, tell everyone that he had a Kickstarter running. So that people could potentially back it. Do you, yeah. do, you, do you have to go down that approach? Do you have to have kind of like a crowdfunding kind of 101? Do you have to, do you also have to, do you get people saying, right, okay, this is exciting, this is where it goes. What do I do about crowdfunding? Or do you just say, look, that is a that is a journey you're going to have to kind of go and investigate yourself? I mean, we're quite lucky with our community. Um you know, it's it's been been running five years now, I think, and we've mm. we've grown massively. Like post pandemic, we used to meet once a month, mm. and now we meet every week, and wow. we ha- we have like a dozen people every week, which is wow. amazing. Just people came out of the pandemic, having designed <laughs> countless games in their yes. bedroom, yeah, and just they they had a, a you know a thirst to 
to test it and play other people's games, um, which was amazing. And um, we've now kind of built up to a point where we have people from all different disciplines. So we have designers who have experience pitching to publishers. We've got designers who've had games signed. We've got uh, designers who self-published. And then we've got publishers who sign games. Wow. And then we have hobby designers who aren't interested in publishing anything. They just are happy to design and they get to a point where they go, that's done, on to the next one. Wow. And then we have people who are obviously looking to be published. So, yeah, it, depending on what people's goals are, we can usually point them to someone in the right direction. So out of the out of the games that you've seen, are there any ones that you would say, yeah, this is this came from our place? Um, Part of- out, ones that have been published? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a few. Um, so I believe you spoke to Richard of Crown of Ash fame. Yes. So uh, I met Richard, um, I think, crawling out of the pandemic, actually. He started <laughs> attending um, our sessions and he brought along this, this gorgeously designed game. Yeah. That was, um, even in its, like, early prototypes, it just looked too good. And... Um, I asked him what his job was. He's like, I'm a graphic designer. I was oh, like, all right, yeah, okay, that figures. That, that explains <laughs> it. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I played that and I really enjoyed it. And then obviously that's that's done really well yeah, has, yeah. on, on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and we've got uh, Magnate um, by Naylor Games as well. James is a is a Croydon local. Is he? Um, so I remember... Really early on, um, one of the first kind of big playtests I did was um, uh, not just because of the size of the game. Was we did uh, a blind playtest of the rule book, wow. which which was really interesting because it was the four of us essentially trying to work out how to play. Yeah, whilst James just literally sat in the corner and with a notebook and just and just wrote wrote down in his pad, and we would kind of read a rule and glance over to him and be like is this right and he his expression would not change <laughs> <laughs> and he'd just be writing my experience with uh, with uh, i think i played um i played magnet uh, i think maybe aircon 2019 mm. and uh, i think it was maybe round about just before was it maybe just before it was going to go to kickstarter but i rolled like dreadfully like ones all the way through to the point where we actually had to check the dice it was so bad and if you speak to James and remind him of my my absolute failure at trying to play magnet at the time um yeah it was uh yes it was absolutely dreadful but it's really good to see um James has got a he's got a game coming out soon hasn't he uh, another one which is it's an unusual yes kind of a game based around pontoon and algebra which um yeah makes me it's, run a mile <laughs> it's um yeah blackjack with equations yes which, um you can say those words and someone will immediately know whether they're in or they're out yes yes um uh, i mean <laughs> snake clowns for me <laughs> that's literally what that, that puts it together as the um the general advice is that when you start out as a you know a publisher especially if you're a you know a, 
a self-publisher or an indie publisher. Yeah. Um, start out with a nice small card game. Yeah. Because there's less moving parts, cheaper to produce, all that kind of stuff. Then as you get a better known, yeah. you can expand and go for bigger games. Yeah. So James decided to completely ignore <laughs> that. And his first game was a, a metric brick. Yes. A metric ton. <laughs> um, of gorgeously designed uh, buildings and um, seven years in the making yeah. kind of masterpiece. And then he's following it up with a deck of cards. <laughs> um, but the, uh, that 21X is actually a game that debuted and was playtested at uh, the Ludquist. Wow. And and that's how James discovered it. So the designer, Leo. Um, Leo is falls very uh, quickly into that design by feel um, category. And he he will just come up with a concept um however ludicrous and then go yep that's a game and then he'll turn around in a day or so and he'll come back with a game and you'll be like yeah how how does this work how how have you done this yeah um and he he constantly impresses me with the the kind of um the, the games that he comes up with these that are just Brutally simple, but fascinating. And I'm absolutely awful at 21X. I'm, I'm just, I'm not made for it. I just, it's, one, it's a game that I really want to be good at, but I can't. It's like I'd really like to be good at, clock, you know, rock climbing, but I know I've just not got the, the upper body strength to even consider kind of going near there. Yeah, I look at it and I'm just like, yeah, this looks absolutely fantastic. And I think it's going to do kind of pretty well. James has got, he's got quite a, a weight on his shoulders at the moment because he's taken over the ITB <laughs> stuff. Yes. Stuff. Yeah, he has. I'm he's, um... interested in finding out how much hair he's potentially lost. <laughs> he's kind of taken <laughs> he up. hasn't been along for a few uh, playtesting sessions, so he might look like a different man <laughs> when he resurfaces. <laughs> he might be. But So are you the type of designer then? It sounds to me that, you're the type of the designer then you if I gave you a theme just now would you be able to pluck the idea of a game out of it or would you just be look I really need to kind of go away and have a have a kind of a think about what I could do it, it depends I think I I think generally if I try to build a game around something I find that I tend to lean more heavily on things for inspiration. Mm -hmm. I look to like existing examples. Whereas if something kind of springs to me mm -hmm. unbidden, yeah, then I often find it's a bit more, um, I don't know, original. Right. Probably the best way to describe it. Um, so yeah, there's there's been times when, you know, I mean, actually playing one of uh, James's games, um, Game Jam, which is a game about designing games, <laughs> yeah. um, which meta. is is in um, development at the moment, but it is it's it's excellent because you can play it yeah, as a game. It's kind of like a um, like a tableau building yeah, yeah. efficiency game, yeah. but you end up with a combination of 
theme, mechanics and components that then you have to kind of put into Check. a category. Yeah, yeah. And the amount of times that we've we've played it and gone, like, that's actually a really good idea for a game. <laughs> and um and yeah, we will have um we will have games that have been designed and brought to playtesting sessions that have sparked from wow. uh, games of game jam. <laughs> That's 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 pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And it and it's those kind of conversations. Sometimes you just need like like you said, a couple of prompts where mm. you go, Yeah, I guess a bit like improv. It's like, Oh, here's a here's a theme and here's a component. What can you what can you make around that? And it's um So was Swatch pretty what what was the thing behind Swatch? Was Swatch kinda like I like colours, I can actually make this into a pretty easy kind of maths kind of puzzle I mean because that I, I, I when I saw it and I've got there's one just around there sitting on my shelf um, it's bright it's colourful it's garish it's very kind of it it puts you in it's a to me it's always it's a mood game because you're interacting with the environment and you're affecting the colours around it and people have kind of different colours and it's bright and it's cheering there's a little bit of stress out there about you know kind of mixing your palettes and kind of mixing your kind of colours together. And to me, that seems to be, unless I'm reading it wrong, but it seems to be more feel than it is kind of maths. And you're going to tell me, no, if I very cleverly designed this game, it's heavy on maths, <laughs> but it kind of gives you the impression of a feel type game. I think it started out as very maths-based mm. and then um, I realised that just because a game is balanced doesn't mean that it's fun. And I mean, the the first kind of iteration of Swatch was um, there was only one aspect of that game design that survived. Yeah. And it was the colours. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, the colours weren't even part of the gameplay. Wow. Um, it was It was still kind of based around efficiency and it was an unapologetic cube pushing game um kind of if you took century spice and just boiled it down to its purest concept of i will i have this cube and i would like a different cube yes um it just I, I was just kind of following a bit of a you know an experiment with something and i was like oh well i'm going to set up a prototype with um with you know four players okay i need four player colors mm. I'm a graphic designer, so my player color colors always default to CMYK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I set up a game where the four players had cyan, magenta, yellow, and black cubes. And we played it and it was awful. <laughs> and and these and these were my my best friends playing the game. Mm. Which is normally like when you first play design a game and you get them to play it and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. And they were just like, No, no, this is <laughs> I'm doing things and I'm I'm getting not nothing getting, from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I literally took the only thing that excited me about it, which was the colours, and then, um, and and then that crossed over and it kind of kept kept going. Um, as I said, the efficiency aspect is definitely still there, but uh, it's a very different game from what it used to be. Would you revisit it again? As in, would you go back and do like an expansion or? I've had a lot of thoughts about that, and um, there's a, there's a few things that I would really like to do. Mm -hmm. 
there's a few things I have already done. Um, there's been a couple of playtests I've had of uh, a couple of extra modules for Swatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would definitely like to revisit it. Um, it is coming to the end of its print run yes. very soon. Yes. Um, there is not many copies left, uh, which has got me thinking about it again. Um, but one of the very interesting things that I've learned about Swatch is who actually plays it. And I've found since releasing it much I have a much better idea of who the audience for it was. So when I was marketing it on Kickstarter, I was marketing it as kind of, you know, like an abstract strategy game. Uh, you know, uh, a, a, a light one that you know, you can get your kind of Euro fix in a 30-minute game, Mm -hmm. which is it it does do. But I found that people respond to it much better when they go to a convention, which is where I do most of my sales now, and they look at it and they go, oh, this is about colour. I'm in. And they sit down and they want to play it because they're drawn in by the aesthetic instead of the gameplay. And those people like the game a lot more which i find fascinating but i'm a quite a visual person as well so to me when i first saw swatch i was like i'm in <laughs> you know it was that kind of you know it's that deadpool 2 moment you know <laughs> it's just here okay well you're in don't worry about it kind of thing <laughs> because it was because you know um I've always had a bit of an artistic background and something like this is going like, because, and, uh, you know, there's not enough people by banging the kind of the, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the CY, the CY <laughs> drum as well, you know, <laughs> um, going, oh, this is actually how color theory works. Oh, right. Okay. And I found that like fascinating. It was educational as well at the same time, but it's just the colors and kind of putting everything together, which was kind of wonderful for me in terms of then, what made you decide in terms of like for the next game, for the follow-up game, which is the game that we're meant to have been talking about for the last 43 minutes and <laughs> 52 seconds, but haven't. Um, <clears throat> how did it come around? Because am I right in saying that Crumbs isn't your baby? No. Your baby no, is not. currently making the cutest, adorable noises in the background, <laughs> being gloriously entertained. But it's... Yes, uh, she is. It's... Uh, and I'm not gonna. It's Jay and Cheryl, is that right? Who designed yes. Crumbs? So how did that come about? Are they a Ludaquist graduate, or how did that kind of happen? They are a South Lo- London local, yeah. yes. Um, but the the way we actually met was uh, an unsolicited DM on Twitter. Wow, which is you know everyone's favourite thing to receive, <laughs> but in my case, it actually was. Um, so yeah, uh, John had been following me on Twitter, yeah. Um, as a as a you know local designer slash publisher, and also you know I like small box games and micro games, and he had a love of button shy games, and he he just shot me a message uh, once saying, oh, you know, I don't know if you've ever considered publishing other people's games, yeah. but I've been. Um, designing a load of 18 card games in my spare time and I was wondering if you fancy taking a look at them. That's cool. So I 
um, I said, oh yeah, yeah, I'd be well up for that. I said, we've got you know our playtesting group that meet at the Ludacrist. Um, you know, we can meet up and I can sit down and play a load. And I thought, you know, worst case scenario, if they're all terrible, at least I've recruited an extra person for the for the playtesting group. <laughs> it could be a serial killer. I've just, <laughs> I've just invited a murderer <laughs> maniac to our board game club and we're going to be in the news. Uh, yeah, best case scenario. <laughs> we got game yeah, I, get to, I get to play some play some great games, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, we we sat down and I played uh, Crumbs, which at the time was called Breadhead. Okay, and it just it was just one of those things that I, I just immediately went, oh, this is fantastic! I love this. Um, he t- he told me originally about about the theme, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm intrigued because that sounds sounds really cool. Yeah. And then when when we played it, the just the um, the, the tactile aspect of of laying the cards over one another just really clicked with me. And the next day, I I sent him a message like, "Can you send me the print and play files for that, please?" And then I think that again the next day, I I made it and was playing it. And I I continued to play it. I just had it on me, um, so that if I had some spare time, mm-hmm. I just. Mm-hmm get out and have a, a a quick game and you know it was it was still quite rudimentary it was john's own art that he'd done on essentially like paint but it had just kind of like that really really simple strong visual that that captured me so is, was there a lot of difference between the the game of crumbs that was put down in front of you on that day and the one that's going to kickstart was there a lot of changes that you made or was it more in kind of aesthetics and presentation rather than kind of reworking rules and things? I think when it came to to like rules development, mm-hmm. the, the game was was in a really strong place, and I think all it needed was um, you know a bit of a bit of spit and polish. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, John was quite active in other design communities as well, including like the Buttonshy Discord, and I mean, if you want to get feedback on an 18 card game there's no better place yeah. to do it yeah, so yeah, yeah. he already had like a pool of people that he had sent prototypes to um who who were playing it regularly so it was already in a, in a really good place and i think my role was more of kind of a yeah like a developer role where i just kind of like streamlined bits or mm-hmm. picked up on on pain points or like player assumptions and then said, Oh, you know, if people are forgetting this rule a lot, then it's clearly a sign that it's not, it's not natural. Cause I think one of the, the great things about the game is that even though it's only 18 cards, it still feels very thematic and all of the kind of the actions that you're doing make sense. They, they, they kind of nothing, draws you out too much of, of kind of the feel of, of making sandwiches. And so we yeah. wanted as few rules to get in the way of that as possible. I think it's very tact the thing I think the thing about the game um <clears throat> it's very tactile. And I you know, with me kind of reviewing kind of more games on a regular basis, there's some games that I get kind of straight away. And there's other games that's a bit of a struggle because my, I'm still, 
I am I kind of I enjoy a good theme and I can get around kind of how a theme works and stuff like that. But there's some things that just kind of click for you straight away when you're playing a game. And it's like, I understand why I am doing this because it represents me doing this. And this makes kind of complete kind of complete sense to me. Like I was playing um, Viticulture oh, yeah. again on Friday, which is, you know, one of my, I would say, quite easily one of my favourite games. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. But fantastic. the act of... The act of kind of like planting, harvesting your grapes, aging your grapes, changing them to wine, shipping them out, all follows, regardless that you're physically not doing those kind of actions in real life, you kind of get the flow and it kind of works, it kind of understands. I've played another game recently, which is all about kind of, uh, which was kind of like markets and goods and pricing and stuff like that. And it just didn't it kind of took longer to kind of get in because there was still a disconnect between kind of like the, how the game team, what I like with, what I like with crumbs was the fact that it's like, here's some bread, right? I'm going to put some, I'm going to put bread down. I can put as many bread down as I want. And now on my next action, I'm going to take, I'm going to get some eggs and I'm putting eggs down on top of the, the bread that needs eggs. And then on my next action, I'm going to get some cheese. And then my next action, I'm going to get put another bit of bread down. Then my final action, I've got to toast this bread. And then I'm checking my cards to see if I've done like how many sandwiches I've made in that turn to satisfy. Now, it's not the whole order, but just a sandwich. And then if I've got it right, I get my five actions back and I get to keep making sandwiches. And as long as I'm kind of... And to me, that is the act of going into a sandwich shop. I'm trying to keep my customers happy as long as like I'm not I'm not kind of trying to create your entire order but what I'm doing is I'm showing you that I'm making progress and as long as I've got here's here's another one of your sandwiches just made and I'm just finishing off the last of your sandwiches meanwhile I'm getting on with the second sandwich and I'm kind of creating actions but what I've got to do is I've got to make sure I've got enough ingredients so once I've successfully made a sandwich I'm literally going to have to top up the ingredients that I've got and I do that by recycling the the kind of the sandwiches that I've made for the customers. So there's <laughs> there's kind of but this all seems like I could explain this to somebody and they could imagine how the gameplay would work quite quite quickly. What's interesting to me with crumbs is the fact that um it's the limitation of the cards that you have is that you could have quite literally had a deck of 18 cards for all of the ingredients you could have then had a deck of cards for the orders you could have you know you could have had kind of more items and more ingredients and the fact is that even like simple things like um depending on the difficulty that you have changes the number of ingredients that you have to play with yeah so that on the back of the ingredients cards there it basically has a number of orders so you've got it usually has two customers and each of the customers usually has at least, you know, a couple of sandwiches that they want to order. But what you have to do is you end up starting off with two kind of in customer order cards. So you've got four customers to serve with the chance that you're also going to have to bring in a third set of two, you know, a third set of two customers to serve as well. And but the, what by doing that, you're actually reducing the amount of ingredients that you have available to make certain sandwiches too. And, you know, and, but 
me explaining to this you, you, this to you just now without you seeing the game, you can probably even listening along to the sh- this just now, you can probably imagine how the game kind of works. If I said to you there's a row of ingredients in the top row, and then on the left there's two there's going to be either one card or two cards with customer orders on them. On the middle in front of me, there's a couple of spaces where I've got a prep area where I can make my sandwiches. And you're actually physically making the sandwiches. You're putting ingredients one on top of another. So you actually have a physical representation of the sandwich. Then on the right-hand side, once you've completed a sandwich, you put it on the right-hand side. And then you can only bring out one. You've got another action which allows you to retrieve one ingredient from the pantry at one time. And it all kind of makes sense. Is that that's is that kind of it? Scott, am I? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I think one of the joys of these kind of games is that you can you can sum up yeah the game so so easily and so quickly, and it's one of those games that yeah you can you can say oh these are your your three three actions mm-hmm. and and this is what you're trying to make mm-hmm. and then if you just let people go get on with it they'll lose because. In a weird way, the game is designed to force people to lose. Yes. Because in losing, you you kind of take stock and you're like, okay, well then why why did I lose? Yes. Oh, it's because I I didn't have enough of this ingredient. Yes. Or I forgot to restock this yes. ingredient in time to, to place it. And then you can go back again and, and, and try again. And each each time you, you get you get better and you identify the things that you can do to, to become more efficient. And it's a pretty easy proposition. It's a pretty easy... I've got a cat counter. What nobody knows is <laughs> during this conversation, Scott is repeatedly getting visited by his cat. And he's very, very they're, gently, Actually, they're all different cats, every single one every of them. Single one. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's got more cats than Frank West. Because Frank West, as everybody knows, doesn't own any cats. They're just hand puppets. That he pretends he's got cats. We're calling you out, Frank. You have no cats. You've built a career on cats now, but you have no cats. But <laughs> every so often, this cat goes in front of the camera, and Scott very gently, very <laughs> gently, kind of lifts the cat away, like, you know, this is the last time, and then you're getting punted. Um, yeah, but no, that it's just it's the case that I. It's a very very easy concept to show. I mean, how when you were when you were kind of going out and I guess asking people to help you market the Kickstarter, as in preview the game. The cat's there again. The cat's it's looking back. up. It's back again. It's looking up. You can just stay. Just stay. Um, how easy was it just to say, you know, I'm making a game about making sandwiches? I mean, <laughs> would you like to play a game about me? I obviously I was being a difficult arse because I went, <laughs> oh, I've got celiac, so have you got a gluten free version? It's like it's made out of cardboard. Stop being you, difficult. You, you were you were the uh, equivalent of people when I said, oh, I'm designing a game about mixing color, and everyone's just like, oh, well, I get bet, bet colorblind people can't play it. <laughs> I was that. I was that person. Um, obviously slightly convert, but was it quite easy just to kind of like to you didn't have to do a huge you know explanation about the kind of the game and how it kind of worked no it's I think it's just one of those yeah it's one of those themes that just excites people yeah Um, I mean I, I would hazard a guess and say that 
the majority of the population enjoy eating food, mm-hmm. um, which you know gives you quite a big audience to start with. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just it's, there's just something. It's almost I addictive think, eating food. <laughs> <laughs> the the kind of the combination of the theme mm-hmm. and then once they link it with like the aesthetic that it has, it kind of has that you know that that charming aesthetic. Yeah, it. Yeah, it just draws people in. Um, they kind of want to, they want to please all these these cheery little people in the queue. Yeah, not knowing that they are ultimately going to disappoint every single one of them. Ultimately, but the thing is, and this is the other thing, is anybody that was what if this goes out onto tables, if it's being played in the ludicrous and people are walking past, or a, you know, or at Aircon or Aircon West or Tabletop Scotland or wherever then people walking past the tables are going to look at that and go, it's a sandwich game. There's yeah. not going to be, oh, I There's see. There's going to be no question. <laughs> I see, I see Enk- Emperor Zargath has been taking over the fifth system again. Cheeky man. <laughs> you know, I don't think that is kind of pretty kind of obvious. Um, have you been surprised by the level of, the funding level so far? Because it, it just seems to be me going great guns. Yeah, I mean, as I said, like the the imposter syndrome was real in the in the couple of days leading up, and um, I I I was at the point where when I pressed the button, I was genuinely genuinely unsure yeah. what was going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I had I had kind of goals that I'd love to achieve based on you know Swatch's performance, uh-huh. but I also knew that realistically, Swatch was three years ago yeah so you know i've been quite busy in those last three years and i would hope that that would have some some impact on you know the success of of crumbs yeah you know i've i've been to plenty of shows built up a community um it just you know i i needed i i needed them to turn up when 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 it mattered and yeah i was the response was was amazing um I remember John was like, "Oh, have you got have you got any have you got any kind of goals that you'd love to hit?" And I was like, "Well, I'd love to match Swatch's funding. Yeah. You know, Crumbs is is a smaller game; it's a cheaper game. Yeah. Um, so I'd I'd need more people to get the same amount of money. That's you know, yeah. that's a given. So I'd love to do that. And then I said, you know, my my dream goal is to hit a thousand backers because I just think that's a it's a nice that's a real real milestone. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've got I've got three weeks. I'm you know, I'm sure." I'm sure I'll be able to. I'm sure I'll be able to beat Swatch, and yeah. Well, well I mean, we're you know just over 24 hours in, and we're 80 percent of the way to to beating Swatch. Um, what Swatch did in a month. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been a, a, you know I couldn't have asked for a better start, really. So, um, what is the price of a sandwich in in crumbs? Then what's <laughs> How 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 much is it? Uh, it is twelve pounds, which is um, incredibly expensive if you're up in Scotland. But that's you know your average that's average price that's if you're down literally the price of a sandwich in London. <laughs> I don't go south of the liver of the of the liver. I don't go south of the river. Twelve pounds, and that will get you a fully a fully production copy of Crumbs. Um. Ships to anywhere in the world, and then we've also got 
the custom, oh, the custom order, which is, yeah, become a named customer featured in every copy of Crumbs with a custom illustration by artist Rory Muldoon. Rory's fantastic, isn't he? Oh, incredible. I mean, you know, a, a, a vast amount of Crumbs success is, is yeah. down to his artwork because um, I, I knew I wanted Rory from the beginning because I said that John's artwork may have been simple, but it was it was really effective. It communicated exactly what it needed to. Yeah. And I essentially just sent him what John had made. I was like, I want this, but in your style. I want Rory. Yeah, because uh, Rory was involved in, in Tinderbox. Yes. Yeah. And that was a big, big part of Tinderbox. You know, I said Tinderbox is, it's very, it's very flat graphics, but it still feels oh, 3D. So lovely. And I was like, I, I need that. Yes. Because the stacking element of you know, waffer thin cards, <laughs> but being able to t- make them look kind of isometric, yes, and ending up with a three D sandwich yes. is, yeah, it's it's a hugely like visual um, draw that people can look at that. Like you said, people look at it at a table, and they immediately know what it is sandwich, but it has a much bigger presence than it than it is. You know, the the box is going to be about about this big like it's pocket sized <laughs> and for the purpose of the tape <laughs> Scott is saying it's going to be about Scott is saying it's going to be about the size of, it's actually not much it's not much size difference between a, a kind of a mobile phone it's actually smaller than a mobile phone box pretty yeah. much I mean the um, the box the production box is going to be slightly bigger because mm. it's going to be a two piece box instead of a, a tuck box yeah. because there's a bit high quality and you know, obviously, it's going to have space for sleeving the cards because I'm never going to release another game that cannot fit sleeved cards in the box. <laughs> never hear the end of it. That before. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's you know, a, the box is really small, but the components you know are minimal. Mm. But then the kind of the experience you get out of it vastly outweighs the kind of. The, the the individual components, I guess. Yeah. Like when you have it out on the table. When I was doing demos at UK Games Expo, um, one of the most common comments was um, when I said, "Oh, this is it's an eighteen card game." And they're like, "Now there's more than eighteen cards here." I was like, <laughs> "No, no the, the, yeah. there literally isn't. Uh, you've just used every single one of them several times." Wow. And I think that is the real strength of of John's designs, and having played others. Um, of his, I will say that, that he is he can make the most out of very little, and uh, that was one of the things that appealed um, to me for crumbs, um, and it's what makes me keep coming back. Is is just you know is, is that um, kind of minimalist aspect, which obviously I'm you know a, a fan of, <laughs> slightly, um, slightly, slightly biased, <laughs> <laughs> and then. Yeah, you just get you get so much out of it. You yeah. kind of forget how small the game is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at the moment we we've got about we're gonna have about twenty days to go. We will make. Oh, I have no idea what I'm doing for the rest of those twenty days. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. But if people have listened along tonight and they want to find where you exist on the internet webs, where do you exist on the internet webs? I exist. Wherever they'll let me. Um, 
I'm Facebook, Instagram. I'm still going to call it Twitter. Sorry. Um, I'm at Minerva Tabletop on most social media or I'm MinervaTabletop.co.uk. There we go. And we'll make sure that we put all those links in the show notes alongside the current Kickstarter campaign link in the show notes as well. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then just go to the internet webs and search for We Are Not Wizards and you'll find us in all the different places. If you want to keep up on our reviews that we write as well as our podcasts that we record for the reviews that we write, I mean, we record them so they're in podcasts. You can go to we'renotwizards.co.uk. We're also on all the different places, Instagram and X and Twitter and threads and squish and douche and up and down and cable and picture and satellite and tabletop leg and everything. All the all the various just search for We're No Wizards, you'll find us. Um and if you like what you've listened to, then please consider going to your podcast catcher of choice and give us a rating or a review. It's been a little time since we've had a review, so if you hadn't dropped a review in Apple Podcasts, and please consider doing that. It doesn't matter where you are. In the world, just go ahead and do that. It makes me very, very happy. But if you are going to be giving us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it does make me big-headed. But don't give us one star because it makes me cry. And you don't want me crying into my sandwich. Give us something in the middle, like five, because it's average. It's just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. Scott Low James. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. There's only two more things to do. First thing, remember, we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Scott? Not last time I checked. Good. Make sure you check regularly. It's important. Uh, And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Scott. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott. As a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Make something awful. Uh, make not don't make not making something awful. Make something wonderful. Make it with lettuce and ham and cheese and egg and toasted bread and untoasted bread. And make sure you get some gluten free bread in there because otherwise it will be a disaster if it comes around my house. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to.